0: So 15 days, you know, call it three trading weeks, you know, since there's five days in a work week. Um, But you miss that and then boom, you know, you're losing about three and a half percent of your return per year over nearly a 30 year period.
1: Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. This is Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and in Canfield as well. You can find us online by going to Design. Listen to past episodes of the show and find out more about Kevin and the team, which, by the way, I do recommend going back and listening to our previous episode. Go back to episode number 40 and check that one out if you want to hear kind of uh, this isn't really a series, but it is sort of a part one and part two discussion of the fallout from. Uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, I guess. They were pretty close at the time of our recording today, Kevin, of officially labeling that. So we might as well start going that direction and calling it that. But the the issue of the coronavirus and the market impact that it's had and some of the other things that have been going on in the news. And we talked a lot on the last episode about how you and your team have responded to that, how your clients and uh, folks who are just everyday people like my dad are responding to that kind of issue. And we want to explore that a little bit more on today's show and, and go through a couple of different levels as we kind of look at the fallout from all of that and also just a current stock of what's going on. But the structure of our conversation, Kevin, it, it could be something other than coronavirus. It's still going to apply to today's conversation.
0: Frankly, we're going to spend most of the time talking about uh, just the market in general and just how to respond and things not to do, <laughs> quite frankly. And, and we'll set this up in the discussion in terms of, you know, looking at your portfolio and the asset allocation and, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. But honestly, this is really timeless. There's always going to be some crisis de jour that's going to happen. You know, every things have been fairly calm, quite frankly, for a number of years in the investment markets. That's not normal. Uh, more normal is more volatility. Academics, uh, researchers uh, that look at market history, um, they'll call it periods of time like this, like volatility clustering. Um, So uh, I guess imagine maybe like an EKG line and, you know, you kind of go through and it's like a little beep and a beep and a beep and, and you get the lines kind of spiking up. Did I say that right, EKG line?
1: Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, you can tell him uh, a
0: big. Yeah, uh, you know, I should have been a doctor, right?
1: Um, I'll ask Connie when she uh, when she comes home later, <laughs> since she works in <laughs> yeah, the. Thankfully, in I'm the a healthy 43 a year old, <laughs> and I've had very little exposure
0: besides working with a lot of physicians as clients.
1: Um, I don't know if they call it the EKG line, but it is the EKG machine that makes the line.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So a lot, there's a lot of people, a lot of clients that are probably laughing at me right now, but <laughs> they're probably laughing at us. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Connie,
1: Connie's going to, Connie's going to be embarrassed when I tell her this conversation later. She's going to say, "Oh, it's the, this line or something
0: like that. All right. So you're in the boat with me, Walter, but you know, so whenever the line spikes, you know, that's kind of a volatility cluster, if you will. Um, but what's happened really, I would say, you know, post global financial crisis is th- certainly there was some, um, aftershocks, if you will, from the global financial crisis of, you know, 08 and 09. Uh, There was the Greek debt crisis and uh, there was uh, kind of the debt ceiling issue that uh, America had and kind of Congress was creating in 2011 and caused the U.S. to lose its AAA rating. Um, There was a pretty big sell off in that year. But in general, outside of that, it's been kind of smooth sailing. You know, there is really there hasn't been any amplitude. We've been down in the valley of volatility, if you will. Uh, but more recently, it's peaked, and and when things do get peaked like this and volatile, historically there tends to be a, a clustering effect. Is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. So I certainly don't think that this is going to be over anytime soon. Um, it's quite likely that it, that. The volatility is going to stay elevated for quite some time. Um, and even after the coronavirus uh, goes away, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if something else uh, comes back, because again, these events do seem to cluster. But one of the things that, um, well, even before I go into that we've had a lot of clients that have just we've kind of looked uh more recently at clients logging into their 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 vaults and we've had a lot of clients you know logging in and uh, we've had a lot of conversations over the last couple weeks uh emails or or phone calls and what have you and we've got a lot of feedback that's saying hey seeing where my financial plan results are and that i'm still okay Certainly has helped me feel a lot better, uh, you know, ignore and tune out some of the noise that's going on. Certainly our clients can log in. They can see their results, their investment results every single day. They have some benchmark comparisons. But uh, importantly, they have their financial plan results right alongside of that as well to connect the investments to their lifestyle and their plan. And we've just gotten some really good feedback from that. So I'll just kind of make a quick, call it a public service announcement or a true wealth service announcement, I guess. But, you know, if you're listening and you're a client and you haven't logged in and looked at that, please do, um, you know, take a look at it. Certainly we review that when we get together. But we've just had a lot of uh, clients tell us that, hey, that's been really helpful just to keep things in perspective and not really kind of get hung up on the daily gyrations that we've been going through. Um, If you don't have that or if you don't have a plan, that's a whole other issue. You know certainly you need to have that because just looking at the investments in a vacuum, not only does it not work uh, or not work well, but at times like this, you know that's the only thing that you're looking at. So it just it probably makes you more susceptible to making a bad decision. And in light of bad decisions, what we're going to talk about next is market timing. Um, so while we've had this volatility clustering recently and and I mentioned that, The market historically is more volatile than what it has been of late. The last sell-off like we had like this was in December 2018. So it wasn't all that long ago in that regard. It did sell off from peak to trough about 20%. Um, But when a 20% decline typically happens about once every seven years. So here we are, you know, basically about fifteen months later and, and having it again. Uh, perhaps that is kind of the, the volatility clustering that I mentioned. You can really only identify it in hindsight. Uh, however, you know, even having a ten percent decline, you know, it happens about once a year. fifteen uh, percent decline about once, you know, every three to four years. So, you know, that's normal. It's I think what's really noticeable about this one is, is just the, the health scare that goes along with it. Um, you know, the whole global pandemic, uh, I think we can use that P word now, Walter, I'll, I'll agree with you there, but what you really got to be cognizant of is, you know, just resisting any sort of urge just to go ahead and sit on the sidelines, sell, go to cash or do something extreme like that. It, it just doesn't work. And to go ahead and kind of walk through the evidence is why, let me back up and just kind of frame this in terms of asset allocation. So we've talked about this on past episodes, but uh, the asset allocation, you know, liken that to the recipe. If you're in the kitchen cooking and the ingredients that you have uh, are the different mutual funds and what have you that you're combining Uh, in the portfolio. So both the ingredients and the recipe are are important. You got to have good ingredients, right? Um, You want them to be uh, free range, organic and all that good stuff. But what investment science shows is that the recipe or the allocation actually matters even more than the ingredients. So there's three, I'll call it two really broad types of asset allocation. And the third is really a hybrid, but you have strategic asset allocation where you're really just using kind of historical relationships of prices of risk and going ahead and combining uh, that in a portfolio, just kind of really looking at the past, not making any uh, future bets or expectations or forecasts or anything of the sort. It's really more kind of uh, a buy and hold or maybe like a buy, hold and rebalance sort of approach. Uh, there's a firm just down the road from us in, in Akron, Ohio. Where we're somewhat friendly competitors. Um, I think they've been in business since like 1990. But my understanding is, I mean, they literally, they haven't changed their portfolios in more than 30 years. So, you know, I think that's a good starting point. Certainly you have to understand history. You have to understand how assets behave uh, with one another to go ahead and try to smooth out the rides overall. We're not necessarily in that camp. On the other hand, uh, you have tactical asset allocation. So this is using, you know, economic forecast, price trends, uh, you know, maybe a coin flip for crying out loud to go ahead and make some sort of uh, move into overweighting uh, an asset, you know, maybe even or country or sector or maybe getting out and going to cash and then deciding to get back in at some later date. It's also called market timing. It's a very aggressive form of asset allocation. There's a lot of moves, generally speaking. And uh, those are the two bookends. One kind of a you know a buy and hold or buy and hold rebalance, and the other is a tactical approach, uh, very, very active. A True Wealth, we're definitely more towards the strategic. Um, however, yeah, I can frame it this way. So if you think of a runway, and you know you're flying in a plane and you and you're getting ready you know to to land and the captain turns on the seatbelt sign and and tells you hey we're getting ready to land and Walter I don't know about you but every time um, they do that I look at my watch or figure out where we are and we're like we're still 20 minutes away. What the heck is he telling me this for already? Well, why,
1: why does it take so long to, to land the plane? Just yeah. get a mile from the airport and drop down, right? Right, right. So I'm, <laughs> you can tell I, I'm really high on the patience
0: uh, category as a, as a personal trait. Um, we,
1: we've definitely ruled out that neither of us is, uh, would make a good doctor nor pilot. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, isoelectric line, by the way, I think is the official term for what the line is on the graph. Uh, isoelectric, or uh, more commonly, just just the, showing you the waves, the waves or the wave right, form. It's right. like the P waves, and they all combine into, you know, the that, that sounds like pretty ECG close to what we said. EKG <laughs> thing, yeah, close <laughs> enough.
0: Um, so the uh, you know, you're getting ready to land, but and I think the why they do is they just want to clean up the cabin or have you clean up the cabin, right? Uh, so, you know, you're doing that. And as you actually do get closer to the land, you can see the landing strip and where you're going to land. And the closer you get, obviously, it becomes, you know, larger uh, and, and it's closer to you. You can see it, what have you. Um, it's always been the same size. But, you know, as you get closer to the runway, obviously, it appears larger. And so when you think about making expectations about the future, whenever you are really on the runway of the financial markets, you know, you're kind of day to day, week to week you can't really separate noise from any sort of financial science. You can't with the study show. And I'll, I'll relay this here in a moment is that it's just indistinguishable. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of inherent volatility. There's no way to go ahead and be uh, statistically reliable in, in any sort of forecast um, whether it's a uh, using some sort of price trend or something like that. Uh, but as you kind of get a little bit more perspective as you're a little bit higher up in the air and you're looking about a little bit longer term say maybe five or ten years there are ways that you can go ahead and forecast future expected returns there are ways that you can try to ed- identify you know if an asset is overvalued or undervalued now if, it, if all this stuff is kind of you know fairly close to the norm or to an average then it probably doesn't tell you a whole lot. But if something, the more over or undervalued it gets from, say, maybe a historical average or if you're looking at kind of across assets, say comparing U.S. stocks to international stocks, for instance, then you can start having more confidence in in some of these forecasts and some of these over or underweightings that you may do. And that's what we do uh, at True Wealth. Uh, We call it dynamic asset allocation. It's definitely more strategic. We're not making big moves necessarily going in or out. We have a very defined framework that we follow, so it's clear for our clients you know, what they can expect from us. And having some of those guardrails in place also just helps to go ahead and um, you know, just put guardrails on the portfolio because ultimately that has to be matched back to the financial plan. So those are the three types. Um, and again, it's really strategic and tactical. Kind of a set and forget it and a very hyperactive. And then there's all kinds of gradations in between. But uh, we call it dynamic anyway, just to describe what we do. But we've gotten some calls recently from some clients. Uh, By and large, our clients have been, seem to be very disciplined going through this. Again, I think, you know, that's kind of our MO, you know, plan first. You kind of prepare you you have all the different goals in their lifestyle uh, and their the financial plan ranked we have a predetermined plan where if we do have to kind of pull back a little bit on spending that we know where we're going to pull back from um so we kind of just beat this tomato steak into the ground and and repetition certainly helps and and is warranted particularly in times like these however you're always going to have you know some people that are a little bit more concerned uh, than others and we got to be there for them and, and we got to do our best to make sure that that they don't kind of cause long-term financial harm by selling and going to cash and and really just trying to get lucky rather than doing something that is going to be process based. So we've had some of those calls recently uh, and I just did a little bit of work um, rather than just tell them stick with it. I just wanted to provide some context uh, in addition to the the reassurance of hey, stick with it. And again, I think the financial plan is first and foremost, that's the most important thing. We've already looked at, you know, when you're going to need the money. We know that none of the money that you're going to need tomorrow or the next year or the year after that or the year after that is going to come from the stocks. It's going to come from the more conservative part of your portfolio. You have plenty of time for stocks to go ahead and rebound. But beyond all that, and and that's really important, but beyond that, when you look at the evidence, you just look at daily volatility. So again, we're kind of down on the runway. You can't really tell what's going on. I go back last week and I think there was like two down days of more than 3%. But then there were two up days of more than 4%. And uh, Walter, I don't know about you, but I felt like a ping pong ball going back and forth.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, is this is this going to be the end of the volatility? Everybody's chilling out now. Oh, and then it's back down the next day with the slightest bit of different news. It just sends everybody off in different directions, it seems.
0: So when you look back on, uh, just say, the market history, say S&P 500, and uh, Iran ran data from 1990 through t- the end of 2018. The S&P 500 returned about 9.3 percent annualized over that time period. However, if you just miss the 15 best days, and well, you may have seen you know data like this before, but. Um, this is kind of an open ended guess type question here, Walter. So 9.3% annualized return SP 500 if you just stayed invested all through the ups and downs. You know, 1990s were really good, tech bubble blew up, and uh, you had the last decade where the SP 500 made no money through the 2000s, actually lost money for an entire 10 year period. And then the last 10 years, uh, at least through the end of 2017, particularly, were all really, really good years. So, you all that being said, you had about a 9.3% return per annum, but if you just missed the 15 best days over that entire, what is it, 28, 29-year period, what did your return fall to?
1: I'll just pick an easy thing and say half, half of that.
0: So, not too far off, actually. It's 5.8%. Okay. So Okay, you know, a little you, better than half, yeah. Yeah, you lost quite a bit. Um, so, you go from 93 down to 5.8%. So, 15 days, you know call it three trading weeks, you know, since there's five days in a work week. Um, but you miss that and then boom, you know, you're losing about three and a half percent of your return per year over nearly a 30 year period. And again, three and a half percent may not sound like a lot. <laughs> if, if you go ahead and compound that over a 30 year period, uh, again, just doing kind of you know bonehead math and ignoring compounding, you know, that's gonna be something more than double your money um, by just missing the 15 days over that time period. So the point is, you don't know when the worst days are going to be. You don't know when the best days are going to be. I saw uh, Peter Magellan, who used to be kind of the esteemed fund manager for Fidelity Magellan for a number of years, uh, wrote something similar about this, about the best months and how he didn't believe in timing and trying to get in or out. Even though he was an active manager, um, he didn't believe in trying to time the market. He called it a fool's bet. Uh, so that daily volatility is certainly there. So that's there. Now from an evidentiary standpoint, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, so the volatility, yes, it's tough, but you know, a much younger, uh, maybe overconfident, higher testosterone, Kevin Krosky in grad school might be sitting in the back of his grad school finance class saying. Yeah, but, you know, hey, what if you were able to go ahead and um, miss the worst days or what if you had a strategy that allowed you to go ahead and identify some of this stuff and, hey, maybe I'm smarter than the average bear and and let's see what we can do. Um, So I used to be overconfident like that, but um, maybe with the declining testosterone levels and, and a little bit more humility and life experience. I am certainly different these days (laughs) than what I was back in grad school. And I'm just going to reference, there's a lot of different evidence that's out there. It's academic evidence, it's research, it's boring, but there was a study in 2014 that was done and um, I'm not going to go ahead and name it unless I can bring it up real quick. But in short, what they did um, or how these patterns, let me back up for a minute a lot of times, these timing strategies. So I, I mentioned like price trends or you know economic forecasts. A lot of a lot of it is kind of price tr- trends. They'll go back and they'll look at the data. You know what happened over time, and you know, hey, if I went ahead and uh, when the 50-day moving average crossed over the 200-day moving average i just got out of stocks and then i would wait for it to go back and then i would get back in or they would look at things called like advanced decline lines or relative strength or all kinds of gobbledygook so they're basically going back in data mining and I'll, i'll use another uh way to kind of exemplify this data mining maybe make it more relatable here but walter i used to do this uh, talk and it was if you actually sorted all the companies in the s p 500 that started with their company name started with the letter p what i found was the returns on those stocks were greater for the companies that started with the letter p over the companies that started with the letter m it was in the data so i found it i said hey These companies with the letter P are doing better. I don't know why, but it's there. Now, hopefully you can detect the sarcasm and absurdity in my my voice. But, you know, even though it's in the data, it has absolutely no bearing on what's going to happen in the future. You can go ahead and torture the data pretty much to do whatever you want uh, if you beat it enough. But that's one example where it's just it's in the data. You're going back and you're mining the data. There's no rational basis to believe that that is going to produce higher returns going forward. It's absurd. And a lot of these sort of price trends and data mining exercises are, are fairly absurd as well. Um, and they may have worked in the past. They may have, as long as you kind of missed you know, some of the tech bubble and some of 2008, it looks on paper like you have a really good strategy. But again, there may not be any indication that, that that is likely to work in the future. And so this paper in 2014, and maybe we'll link to it in the show notes, I don't have it at my fingertips, but uh, basically what it did, it looked at most of the, the common, the really well-known timing strategies. And that's what you know these are called, kind of momentum or timing strategies. And it said, well, what if I just go ahead and test this, not during the period where it looked really good, but we tested what's called out of sample. So test it in another time period, test it in another market, take it from you know, the US market over to Japan or take it to the UK or take it from say the period uh, of 1990 through say 2010, when we had two big you know, bubble bursts, let's take it back to the 1960s or the 1950s or what have you, you're, you're taking it out of sample, taking not the good period that you had where it looks like you got something, let's take it out of sample and test it and see if we can replicate it. And basically what this researcher found was that, you know, Hey, this stuff sounds great. You know, who doesn't like a simple strategy that can go ahead and, you know, get you out from catching a falling knife, preserve your capital and then tell you when to get back in. But what they found is out of sample, it had all of those strategies on average, in aggregate had an 80% failure rate, eight zero, 80% failure rate. So Walter, if you flip a coin, what's the probability you're going to get ahead?
1: Hey, I can do this one, 50%.
0: Right. And if you follow these, 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 these very common market timing strategies um, that you know, supposedly are going to go ahead and help you avoid you know, catching the falling knife, they have an 80% failure rate. So I wrote a, a client communication recently. I said, okay, you know, hey, let's get out of the ivory tower. Let's get out of the theory. Let's go to practice and let's look at some mutual fund evidence. And Morningstar, who has classified mutual funds, benchmarked and what have you for forever, it seems, um, they have a category. It's called their tactical asset allocation funds. And so all these funds state and behave as they're doing tactical asset allocation. They're getting in, they're getting out, they're using data. These are people with a lot of resources this is a professional job, day to day, they went to you know some of the best schools, uh, they have deep pockets, um, they have, you name it, they got it. And they're going out there and they're trying to use these strategies, you know, these timing strategies, when to get in or when to get out of the market to go ahead and have higher returns, better risk adjusted returns. And so there's about 250, fun- there's exactly 250 funds as of the end of February of 2020 in this category. And one way to go ahead and compare these funds, say, to a strategy that's not doing that, that's staying invested through all the ups and downs, is just to look at risk. And so one way to consider risk, or said another way, I guess more exactly, is volatility or how much, you know, what's the wiggle factor? How much is it kind of moving up and down? And that tactical asset allocation category has similar volatility, similar risk uh, to the Morningstar's category that has uh, a stock allocation between 50 and 70%. So what we're going to do is compare the funds in that tactical asset allocation category just to the average return of the 50 to 70% stock category. And when we do that, what we see is over the last three years, again, this is kind of ending, this is ending February of 2020, over the last three years, 78% of the tactical asset allocation funds did not do as well as the category average. I'm not cherry-picking the best or the top 20%. I'm just picking the category average for the 50 to 70% stock. 78% failed to beat the category average. Over five years, 89% failed to beat the category average. Walter, what did we say the academic evidence found about these timing strategies?
1: invest in companies that have the letter P. (laughs) Walter, Walter, oh my gosh, Walter, Um, wrong. Thank you for playing. 80% failure rate, right? Oh, my gosh. That's why the old uh, monkey can hit the dartboard uh, mentality or or phrase is out there, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Broken clock is right twice a day,
1: right, Walter? That's right. There you go. Um, Or or 20% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) 80%
0: failure rate. You look at the actual evidence of mutual funds of professional managers that are doing this for a living with deep resources and... Probably not uncoincidentally, their failure rate, just compared to a similar risk benchmark, nothing great, just the average return for the category was 78% over three years and 89% over five years. So I suppose you can argue that the actual evidence is even worse because of what the data shows. And oh, by the way, while there's 250 funds in that category today, at least as of the end of February... There were more than 340 just in 2014. Walter, what do
1: you think happened to those other 92 funds? Uh, They're probably not around anymore, I would guess.
0: Why do you think they're not around?
1: They were so bad they couldn't even survive to today.
0: You're absolutely right. Um, So (laughs) what I represented is what the, the, the eggheads call survivorship bias. So you know even though 78% failed over three years and 89% over five years, when you add in all the losers and correct for that survivorship bias, the numbers are even worse. So I think we, we need to just kind of again, let's step back for a moment. things are bad right now in the market as I record this on on March 10th. The market last week was up more than four percent on two days was down uh, more than three on two days for the week it was actually slightly positive but it was coming off a a really bad week the the week before monday yesterday was a terrible day in the market sold off the most since the global financial crisis things are bad right now but you're not going to be able to go ahead and time this stuff the theoretical evidence is terrible for these more sophisticated strategies to go ahead and make timing decisions. The actual evidence from mutual fund managers that do this on a day in day out basis that are they're smart people. Uh, I, I think they're a little bit wrong headed in what they're doing as, as the evidence shows. But they're smart people with a lot of resources, a lot more resources than you or your advisor down the road or or whatever. And their the results are terrible. So be humble. Don't go ahead and just panic out and sell to cash and go to cash just because it feels good. You are completely making a knee jerk reaction and maybe you get lucky, but for us, there's no reason to go ahead and invest your hard earned money in any way that's going to be reliant upon luck for a good outcome. You need to stick to the plan. If you don't have a plan, you certainly need to get one. And then you have an investment process. We did a four part episode. um, I think it was last year on our investment process um there's some additional things that we're doing right now in terms of you know rebalancing tax loss harvesting things that we won't get into today but we talked about what a prudent process looks like talked about the process that we go through we have the plan in place we have the process in place we stick to it and this is really where we roll up our sleeves and get things done you know bonds have held up a lot better stocks have sold off Interest rates are a lot lower today, so uh, we can't expect much from them going forward. Certainly, they can preserve some capital, but they're not going to get the returns our clients need. So we are thinking a little bit differently about our portfolios in light of the new information that's been dealt to us over the last couple of weeks. There's also some other... Uh, Things going on in the market that people should be aware of Um, some people over the last years have been reaching for yield interest rates are low. They've been loading up on things in like real estate or high yield bonds or, or other like bank loans other credit sensitive investments. These are not really liquid investments even if you own them in an ETF or mutual fund format you're seeing big dislocations in the market. You really have to kind of, if you don't understand this stuff, hopefully your advisor does. I can tell you we spend a lot of time looking at these market dynamics and making sure that we're being very prudent in how we're allocating our client portfolios. But it all comes back down to that being prudent and having a process and sticking to it. You know, Don't, don't go ahead and capitulate. Don't go to cash. Uh, don't make a knee-jerk reaction. The money that you need for your spending for tomorrow, for the next year, the year after that, is not in the stock market. And if it is, you're making a big mistake. I can tell you none of our clients money that they need for the next few years is in the stock market. The money that they need for five or 10 or 20 years uh, is in stocks and they have plenty of time to go ahead and recover. But as seductive as these market timing strategies sound, I mean, who would not want to be in the market only when it's going up and be out when it's going down? I mean, Walter, I don't know about you, but I mean, if I could find something to do that, I'd be happy to close down my business and I would just give them my money because I mean, you, you can't lose, right? But it just doesn't work and it's easy to fall victim and to pray for unscrupulous people selling this stuff, but it's also easy for people to go ahead and fall victim to their own emotions and fear during times like these. And it's really our job as advisors, as leaders, uh, to go ahead and show them why that's not a good decision, show them that they're going to be okay, show them that, hey, not only do we have a plan, but we are rolling up our sleeves and we're executing that plan right now to make sure that you're going to stay on track
1: the uh, I'm still hung up on the uh, investments with the letter P did so well. There's got to be a reason, Kevin. We need to <laughs> dig into that further Walter, to find just, out why. Lo- it's like kids I've lost you kids that get that. named with the letter A, you know what I'm saying the kids that have they, they say name your kid with the letter A because they'll be called at first for things they'll be they'll get to experience more in their schooling years. you know there's kind of a rhyme or reason to that you know early in the alphabet kind of mentality. Uh, as a Walter, you know, I was always at the tail end of the of whatever process there was, whatever oh, line there now,
0: was. now I see why this is coming up. So this is, <laughs> so the, this is the really is like deep jumping out to me. This is some deep-seated yeah. thing about Walter and him getting called <laughs> last in class. I understand now.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. There's there's some there's some jealousy of letters in front of me. No, I'm just, just messing around. Um, but this is really helpful, Kevin. I think some of the stats that you've given on today's show, are, they're definitely eye-opening uh, to kind of hear that. Uh, the, the case for why it's so dangerous to, you know, just to stock pick and, uh, and everything related to that, you laid it out very well. And by the way, for listeners who are interested in hearing more about the process that you were discussing, Kevin, that begins in episode 27, our four-part series on your investing process. Do you have an investing process? And uh, lots of conversation about most people not understanding their advisor's process, if they indeed have one in the first place. So it's definitely a great series to listen to, especially if you're new to the podcast, You're maybe looking for some episodes that have already been published that you can go and, you know, learn more about Kevin, learn more about the show and get a good introduction to kind of what we talk about here each week. That'd be a great place to start. Go back to episode 27 and it's a four part series on the investing process. And we'll put a link in the show notes of today's episode where you can go and find those four episodes in case you're interested in checking those out. Well, Kevin, really appreciate the help and the guidance on today's show as well as the previous one as we kind of talk about coronavirus and timing and asset allocation and how you've responded over these last two episodes. It's been a lot of fun to get that information from you and hear how you view this whole thing. And, you know, it may not be the last that we talk about it. Uh, Coming up later in April, we may come back around uh, to this conversation depending on uh, what continues to happen to the market. So we'll keep an eye on that and look forward to uh, your analysis and guidance as we kind of move through this you know, definitely changed time period. No, no longer are we in that never-ending bull market. Now we've got kind of a new thing to analyze and talk about uh, compared to the past couple of years. So more to keep our eye on, and uh, we'll look forward to doing that with you again soon.
0: Yeah, Walter. Let's end on a positive note, and uh, I'll give yes. you a question here so you can uh, have you fin- also finish on a positive note. So um, historical market returns for S and P five hundred over time. You know, what do those come in at? I know you know this one.
1: That's the 9% one, right?
0: Yeah, I I have um, it's not just S&P 500, but I have like total US mark market here uh, 1926 through January 2020, about 9.6% per year. So, you know, we've had a a decline uh, recently here of of about 15%. Certain parts of the market are are down more than 20. I don't believe the total market has reached a 20% decline yet. But whenever the markets sell off uh, 10% and, and you look out a year later after that happens, the average return on the market uh, on this research index is about 11%. If the market sells off 15%, um, it's around you know 9.1%. And if the market sells off 20%, the next one year return is about 14.2%. Uh, so just keep that in perspective. You know prices have gotten cheaper. Uh, in general, markets go up over time. Uh, they're just kind of permeated with the short-term declines that we're going through right now. But what's interesting uh, about that as well is while the 9.6% is the historical average, I mean, all of those returns are not too dissimilar. I mean, we're talking about anywhere from 9 to 14%. So, you know, it's difficult to predict just another... Way to go ahead and show that as far as the timing. So high returns are looking better. The market has discounted things. Stocks have gotten cheaper. That means forward-looking expectations look better now.
1: That's so interesting to hear your analysis of these things, Kevin, each and every time we join. And I can't wait for the next episode already. If in the meantime, you have some questions for Kevin about something we've talked about on today's episode or a recent episode of Retire Smarter, we do encourage you to reach out. You can also schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team by going to TrueWealthDesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button. Again, go to TrueWealthDesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button to schedule your 15-minute call. Or you can dial in directly at any time at 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time, right back here on Retire Smarter.